So, after nine weeks of preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to move to some actions on Jesus' part. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, we'll be starting with the first verse. We're going to be taking two narratives, and again, I use the term narrative, although that's starting to have a bad connotation as well. I don't like to use the word stories because so many stories start with once upon a time, and this actually happened. This isn't a story in the sense of a fictional, and this is Luke giving a narrative of what happened in Jesus' life. And so it says, When he, that being Jesus, had completed all of his discourse in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum. Now Capernaum was his base of operation. He was from Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, moved to Nazareth, and then when he started his ministry, pretty much made Capernaum its his base of operation. So after his Sermon on the Mount, he goes back to that base. And a centurion slave who was highly regarded by him, the centurion, centurion was sick and about to die. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. And when they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. And so the centurion, who is basically an officer in the Roman legion, he is in charge of a hundred men. How uh, you get the term centurion. And so he was uh, a part of, if you will, the occupying force in Israel. But he was different than the typical Roman. For you see, the Jews hated the occupation, hated the Romans, and many of them took advantage of their position. But this centurion loved Israel. So much so that he did something about it. He helped build the synagogue there in Capernaum. And so the Jewish elders of that synagogue went and noticed they implored Jesus, begged Jesus to come to help out the centurion. I find it interesting for two reasons. One, they felt extremely loving towards the centurion. Otherwise, they would not have bothered making the trip. And two, apparently they believed that Jesus could actually do something. For the centurion slave was sick unto death. And so they implored Jesus, saying, He's worthy of you to come and help because He loves our nation and He loves our people. And his notes, again, he says this word, he is worthy for you to come. We generally think that the Romans are anything but noble, but he's worthy for you to grant this to him. Verse 6, now Jesus started on his way with him. Now I find this really interesting. Because there was one we saw 
back in Jesus' initial ministry, where a father had a son who was sick unto death. And that father took the chance of leaving his son who was dying and to go to Jesus to seek healing. And when he asked Jesus to go to his son to heal him, Jesus said, he's healed. Go home. Jesus didn't make the trek. And we're not told why he didn't make the trek. He just said, go home. He's been healed. Now, it could have been a test of faith. It could have been that the time that Jesus would have taken to get there, the boy would have died anyway. But then it doesn't matter because Jesus would have raised him from the dead. So we, we're never told why Jesus, but he simply says, go home, he's healed. Now in this case, he goes to the centurion's home. At least he's heading towards the centurion's home. Rather than saying, okay, I grant your desires, the slave is healed, I'm going to kick my uh, sandals off and couldn't watch TV, so I don't know what he watched, but he said, I'm just going to chill for a little bit. I'm back home. But no, he goes. Now Jesus started on his way with them, and when he was not far from the whole house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further. For I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. Now notice the elder said he was worthy because he loved the nation and he helped build the synagogue. The Syrian turn says, it doesn't matter what I did, I'm still not worthy. I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. The centurion, even though he's an officer in the occupying forces of Rome, acknowledges that Jesus, this rabbi, that he's not worthy for this rabbi to come under his own shelter. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. Again, he says, I am so unworthy, I didn't even want to ask you myself. So the delegation went of other Jewish elders, because I'm not worthy to make this request. And I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. But I also understand that if you just say the word, my servant will be healed. And then he says something very amazing. For I also am a man placed under authority. He said, I also am a man under authority. He understands who he's talking to. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, who is under the authority of the Father at this time. So he understands exactly what it means to be under authority. So he says, I am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this. And he does it. Because the centurion knows exactly what it means to be under authority. 
And for those of you who have been in the military, you understand what it means to be under authority. When your officer tells you to do something, it's because he has the full force and effect of the, that branch of government that says, we made him an officer in charge of you. He has authority. He may be under authority. He may have answered to captains and colonels and, and generals, and, and if you're in the Navy, captains and admirals and whatever. But that, that person has authority because he's been placed under authority. And the centurion says, I've been placed under authority. And so when I give a command as a centurion, my men must follow it. And he goes, he knows Jesus is also under authority and therefore has the authority to grant whatever Jesus does. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and turned and said to the crowd that was following him, notice, everybody wants to see a good event. Like I said, they didn't have TVs and movies and whatever. So let's go see Jesus heal somebody if he can. And so a crowd follows them to see what Jesus is going to do. And Jesus tells the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. What a statement about the centurion. And what a statement about the people of God. Here's this Gentile who understands exactly what Jesus is, who he is, and what he's doing. And places his faith in Jesus' authority. But the people of God haven't figured it out. Jesus, I haven't seen that kind of faith in Israel. And here's this occupying soldier who has it. And when he had been sent, returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. This story I find, this narrative I find interesting, and it's going to have the same kind of interest as the next one that we're going to look at. We're never told the slave's name. We're never told that the slave has any faith. It's simply that he had a need, and a man that loved him, even though he owned him, wanted him to be healed. And because of faith of that person, not the slave, he was. Sometimes God does things for you, not because of you, but because of somebody else. And sometimes, God does something for somebody else rather than you because of you. He healed the slave because of the centurion's desire and understanding of who Jesus is and the faith that he placed in him. But we know nothing about the faith of the slave or the worthiness of the slave. Notice we only know that the centurion said, I'm not worthy. I didn't even consider myself worthy to go to you myself. I don't consider myself worthy for you to even answer, and I don't consider you worthy to come into my home. 
but I do know you have authority. Verse 11. Soon afterwards, he went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him and accompanied by a large crowd. Again, I always love it when we see the movies about Jesus' life. I don't know if it's because they're kind of cut down the cost because Christian movies are never that whatever. We see Jesus and his 12 disciples and whatever, or sometimes we see three or four of them. Um, and if, it, if it's a movie that's kind of um, more Catholic-oriented, we'll see Mary showing up with them. But it's usually just the disciples. Notice in all of these scenes, there's a crowd following Jesus because they want to see what Jesus does. And hopefully they want to hear what Jesus teaches. So when he goes there, his disciples were going along with him and accompanied by a large crowd. Now as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. Now this tells us a lot. She's a widow which means she's lost her husband. And she's lost her only son. In that economy, she was in a world of hurt. There wasn't social security. There wasn't disability. There weren't 401ks. Your retirement was pretty much your children. And you better hope your children were pretty decent people. Because that's what they were, you were going to live on. As a matter of fact, some of the even godly people wouldn't help out their parents because they said, well, I dedicated it to God. It's Korriban, and therefore I can't help you. Now I can eat and sleep and spend it all on me, I want, but I can't help you because it's dedicated to God. And so she now has no retirement plan because her husband's dead and her son, her only son is dead. And there's a large crowd. People love funerals. It's a time to get together and reminisce or eat or do whatever. But the, the, pretty much a lot of the town turns out. And when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her. Now when we go to a funeral, we kind of have a couple of reactions. If the person's an old geezer, we don't feel so bad. Well, he had a long life. I'm here to tell you I'm, I'm a lot older than uh, I want to admit to. And as I get older, I keep thinking that's younger and younger all the time. I remember when I was a, a young person, a person at my age was pretty old. And I would joke about it. Now I am closer to 80 than I am to 30. If I make it to 80 or 90 or 100, that's still not a long time. I'm sorry. Just because somebody lived to be 100, doesn't, I, it's not necessarily a reason to feel good. Not that long a time. But here's... The son, so I'm assuming he's probably middle-aged. We don't know. He may be younger, but I'm going to guess middle-aged. 
whatever he is, he's not as old as his mom. Jesus doesn't feel sad for the guy who's dead. Notice, it's not about the dead guy. Jesus feels compassion for the mother. And said to her, do not weep. Now I bet that was pretty strange coming from Jesus. Because you can imagine, and some of you don't have to imagine because you experience the loss of a child. If someone were to tell you, don't weep, you're going, you're crazy. I miss him or her. I don't know what I'm going to do without him or her. Later, we're told in the scriptures, we're not to grieve as those who have no hope. It never tells us not to grieve. It just says not to grieve without hope. And here Jesus says, do not weep. He's going to give her a reason in a moment. And he came up and touched the coffin. Now, again, most of us, because we hear the term coffin, we kind of go to our age and our culture, which is a wooden box or metal box that looks ornate and has uh, really stuff on the inside. That's not what's happening here. This is kind of like a board that they're carrying. He's not in a box. He's on a board with probably a sheet, and he's probably rolled up or whatever. And they're taking him to his burial place. And Jesus touches the coffin which again in that culture is unusual because a dead person is unclean. And if you touch a dead person, you're unclean for a week. And there's a whole thing that you have to do. You have to bathe in a certain way and do certain things to become unclean. But see, holy Jesus never worries about being unclean. Because what's unclean, Jesus makes clean. And the bearers came to a halt. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. I don't think he had to say anything. But he wanted the crowd to understand what he was doing. So he says, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. That's got to be pretty awesome. Arise. And he does. And to show that there's absolutely no residue of death, he speaks. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Now Jesus could have said, you lost your son. I raised him from the dead, and he's to follow me. But he did it. Because he had compassion on his mother. So he gave the young man back to his mother. So no wonder she no longer needed to weep. Now this next statement, 
takes no real imagination. Fear gripped them all. I mean, you don't see that every day. You don't see a dead person coming back to life. Or you might see somebody who is misdiagnosed. I'll give you an example. When my grandfather had a health incident, they thought he was dead. Now, back then, they didn't embalm. So if they placed you in a coffin, you ain't coming back. And so what they did to make sure that he was actually dead was they took a mirror and placed it by his mouth and waited a few moments, and they saw the moisture on the mirror. So they knew he wasn't dead. But later he would have a heart attack and die. They were confident this young man was dead. So much so that they were taking him to bury him. And he's resurrected. And again, we see nothing of this young man's faith. We see nothing of the fact that what he may or may not have done after he was resurrected. What we saw that Jesus had compassion on his mother. He received a blessing because of his mother. The miracle was done to him for his mother. And again, I say to you, there may be times when God will do things in the form of miracles for other people, for your benefit. Or miracles to you, for other people's benefit. But in each of these two miracles that were performed on other people, nothing is recorded about their faith. And in this narrative, nothing is recorded even about the mom's faith. So I get very upset when I hear people say, well, Jesus can do nothing unless you have faith. That limits Jesus. Jesus has authority even over your faith. All too often, we need to be like that young man who will, we will see someday say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. The first story the slave is sick. It's his slave owner, the centurion, that has the faith. In this narrative, nobody is discussing faith. They just see a dead person. And Jesus resurrects him. And they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us. They're partially right but they're not fully right because more than a prophet is here. It is the son of the living God. And they say, and God has visited his people more than just this moment because his name is Emmanuel, God with us. He just didn't visit for a while. God dwelt among us. 
This report concerning him went all out over Judea and in all the surrounding districts. It's one thing to heal somebody before they die. It's another thing to heal a blind person or cause a mute to speak or to cast out a demon. You're talking seriousness when you're talking about raising the dead. And I bet that even in this non-internet age, the word about Jesus went wildfire throughout the surrounding district. Did you hear? Did you see what Jesus did? I was there. There was this guy on a, in a coffin going out the gate of the city to be buried. And this rabbi named Jesus came and he caused him to rise from the dead. I wasn't there, but I heard about it. And people go on and on explaining and explaining. And now the crowds are going to be super large. Because I don't want to miss the next time Jesus does something like this. So this report concerning him went out all over Judea and in all the surrounding districts. He's going to raise some other people. He's going to raise a gentleman named Lazarus. And that report is going to go around. And there are going to be people who aren't thrilled about it. As a matter of fact, they want to kill Lazarus because Jesus raised him from the dead. But Jesus is going to raise somebody else from the dead that proves who he is. And that's himself. He will die on a cross and be buried for three days and will rise again. And because he has authority given to him by God, the people that we have lost will be raised from the dead. And if we go, and as the scriptures say, sleep, not because the scriptures don't like the term death, but because it's a temporary situation. Because Jesus has given us eternal life. It's not life, death, life. It is eternal life. And therefore, we know death is not the final answer. So when we lose loved ones, yes, we grieve. And yes, it's right to do so. But we do not grieve as those who have no hope because if they're a believer and we are, we will see them face to face along with Jesus. What a hope that we have. Your parents, maybe your children, maybe your grandchildren, who may ever it may be that you've lost. You haven't lost. You've simply had a temporary absence. What a hope.
that just as much and just as assuredly as Jesus told this young man to rise, so will we. So will we. And after we pray, the band is going to sing a song that we're going to join in, Resurrecting. Because the truth is, He doesn't just resurrect these people. He doesn't just resurrect Himself. But He's told you and me at the shout, at the sound of the shofar, the dead in Christ will rise first. Which means, in our world, you get a six-foot head start. I guess unless you're in a uh, crypt and maybe you're on the second level, you don't get as much of a head start. But you get a head start. Then those of us who are alive and remain will be gathered together and join with him in the air. And thus we will always be with him. You may be going through a difficult time right now. You may be going through a great time right now and a difficult time later. That's kind of life. Things ebb and flow. Good days, bad days, terrible days. But we have a blessed hope that should cause joy in our lives. Just like I'm sure this mother had when Jesus gave back her son. And all God's people said,